Hi, folks. Cummings here with Kelly Bear. Kelly, your job. Stressful? Oh, don't even get me started. And how do you deal with that stress? Hmm, I go on long bike rides, scream into my pillow, and use Caliper CBD. Ah, that's the CBD powder which mixes easily in any food or drink? No messy oils with funny-tasting goo? Precisely. I mix it with some water and take it before bedtime. I sleep better and feel well-rested in the morning. A good night's sleep helps me cope with stress better. I use Caliper CBD powder, too. My job isn't stressful. Yes, it is. But I find Caliper helps me relax and calms my mind. Not to mention that my annoying little aches seem to go away when I use Caliper. Sometimes I take it during the day when I'm feeling sore. And since Caliper is completely THC-free, I can keep a clear head while working. Have you heard about Caliper's new Swift Sticks? They're the first individually dosed, flavored CBD powder that dissolves right on your tongue. You mean Caliper has made their CBD even more convenient and even tastier? Indeed. Precise portions of 20 milligrams of CBD. No mixing, no messy oils or droppers. They come in cool mint, lemon lime, and mixed berry flavors. Tasty AF. AF? Can you say that? Sure I can. The Swift Sticks are tasty and fast. So convenient. I've subscribed to Caliper CBD, so I never miss a day of on-the-go relief. Plus, I save 10% and get free shipping on every order. Sounds like the perfect gift for a dear, close loved one. Hint, hint. (laughs) You're already a Caliper customer, silly. I'm just hinting for more gifts this holiday season. (laughs) You're goofy AF. Yep, goofy and funny. And listen, folks, right now you can get 10% off your Caliper CBD subscription. Use promo code NOSLEEP at trycaliper.com slash no sleep. Try Caliper CBD risk-free for 30 days. If you don't love it, they'll give you a full refund. This is the perfect time to rediscover your best self with a CBD product that's clinically proven to be superior to standard CBD oils. I think we can all use a little help getting through the stressful holiday season, especially during 2020. So again, that's trycaliper.com slash no sleep. Don't forget promo code NOSLEEP for 10% off your subscription. And now, a show that's creepy AF. Creepy and frightening. For the dark hours. Tales of horror as the sleepless hours tick past. Brace yourself for the No Sleep Podcast. Episode 14 of the No Sleep Podcast. I'm David Cummings, and now it's dark.
I often recommend podcasts to our listeners, shows which might interest the horror fiction-loving fans out there. But I've recently been sent a disturbing notice regarding the podcast The Grey Rooms. I've been informed that you should not listen to their third season, which premiered on November 27th. Yes, it's available on podcast apps everywhere, but I've learned that this anthology show, which has featured a number of no-sleep authors on past episodes, should be avoided. Just because it features an overarching narrative in which the room's guest is forced to choose a door and experience an anthology tale of terror and death does not mean it's suitable for anyone's ears. And yes, voice actors like Graham Rowett, Aaron Lillis, Sarah Thomas, and even a a D. Cummings have been heard on the show, so that's reason enough to avoid it at all costs. Wait, wait, I'm getting a sneaking suspicion that this notice is using reverse psychology in order to trick people into listening to it. Very diabolical of them. So, The Grey Room Season 3 premiere is available wherever you get your horror fix. You should download with extreme caution. Or should you? Anyway, one show you shouldn't avoid is the No Sleep Podcast. So now, let's begin our journey down this lost highway. In our first tale we satisfy our sweet tooth. We've all visited those stores which specialize in all manner of sweet treats and sugary confections. But in this tale, shared with us by author Charlie Hughes, we meet a woman who discovers the truth about one such store in her hometown, a store her parents warned her over and over again to never step foot in. Performing this tale are David Alt, Erica Sanderson, and Andy Cresswell. So stay away from the sugar and those dreaded carbs. They aren't the only things worth avoiding from the candy shop. Jenny Wilshaw slowed her step as the building came into view. It had been closed for longer than she could remember. The purple paint on the door and windows had crusted and peeled over the years. When she was still young enough to hold her mother's hand, Jenny would grip a little tighter as they passed by, tempted to peer inside its black windows, but never quite brave enough to do so. Even the name was wrong. Candy an American word. The town was as un-American as England got. Up ahead, across the road from the shop, Wilf Jenkins sat on a chair in front of the horseshoe pub, smoking a cigarette. The old landlord refused to serve her alcohol a few weeks before, but he was nice about it and didn't seem to mind her trying. She stopped in front of him. He looked thinner than the last time they'd spoken, paler too. You got a nice cold Coke for me, Wilf? Always got one for paying customers, little Jenny. What if they ain't got no cash? He smiled, the deep pitted lines on his face reminding her of maps at school. Well, depends who's asking. For a freebie, daughter of Bobby Wilshaw might have a better chance than most. He stood, 
disappeared into the open door of the pub and came out a few seconds later with a bottle of coke and a tall glass, misty with frost. She beamed, playfully applauding him. They sat on the white iron chairs, separated by a matching table. There was nowhere else to look except across the road, towards the candy shop. Must be strange all these years having to look over at that. You think? For sure. Gives me the creeps. Well, maybe I like it there. Just where I can see it. She turned to him and noted the curious smile twitching at the edge of his lips. Imaro Dar ever tell you about it? Not much. They both said stay away. Still do. You know about the kids? Everyone knows about that. He sniffed. I'll bet there's plenty you don't know. She'd googled it a few times, but the details taken from the old papers were sketchy and difficult to understand. Who'd have thought old Wolf Jenkins might finally be the person to spill the beans? She imagined telling Rosie and Jess all about it, the look of disbelief on their faces. You want to share? Hmm. Your dad wouldn't thank me. Come on, Wilf, I'm curious. I don't think... He shifted in his chair. Well, I don't want to take it with me, but I don't know. She knew the maudlin tone better than she liked. Her grandmother spoke that way before the end. You okay, Wilf? Nope. Doctors give me six months. Big C. Throat. These damn things. He stubbed out the cigarette. Jenny's mouth fell open. They sat in silence for a while. I should go. Wolf raised his chin and looked to the sky. Stay a while, Jenny. Thinking on it, perhaps I should tell what I know. He gestured towards the shop with his cigarette. I'll be gone soon, and it might stand you young uns in good stead. Jenny bit her bottom lip and leaned in towards Wilf. The rumors only started when a third kid disappeared. Police didn't make the connection until a child from a good family went missing. Good family? It was the 60s. The first two came from the council estate. He said this as if it should make sense. Okay. They were all on their way to the candy shop. All three of the kids. Everyone knows that now. And that's why your mom and dad want you to stay away. He lit another cigarette. Babs was the old lady who ran the place. They all said she went strange because of the rumors. She didn't. I was nine years old. She lost it before the kids went missing. Only a few days, but before. You ask anyone who was a kid at the time. Lovely lady, Babs Samson was. Fat old mare with curly grey hair dyed this weird shade of yellow-brown. We went in that place for the sweets, but I think we liked being mothered too. My own mom ran off when I was little. Babs had this funny way with kids. She badgered us, told us to keep our hands to ourselves, 
told us to stay away from her cat, and never ever gave more than a quarter when she weighed the sweets, but... He took a deep, long drag from the cigarette. Jenny heard the tobacco smolder. But she did it all with love. She'd asked me about my dad and my brother, and tell me about the new suite she had in, knowing all the while that I only ever wanted the sherbet flying saucers. Flying saucer mad you are! You'll turn into a saucer, Wilf Jenkins! His impersonation of the old woman was affectionate. That's the funny thing about the candy shop. These days, it's the boogeyman. When I was a kid, it was a treasure trove. A place to gather the sweetest, finest things we could imagine. He clasped his hands. So, one day, we go in there. Me and my mate Ronnie Mayo... He wanted some gobstoppers, and I'd scrapped together a few pennies for my saucers. I remember it clear as the day is long. I pushed open the door and the bell sounded like it did in all the old shops. The moment we went in, I knew something was wrong. Normally, when you went in, Babs would be sat on her stool behind the counter, ready to greet you. Not that day. There was a table in front of the counter with all the lollies and sherbet dips. Chocolate and taffy bars were on the left. The entire right-hand wall sealing the floor was for the shelves of sweets, all stored in glass jars. Bonbons, sherbet dips, rhubarb and custards, chocolate eclairs. She had the lot. Ronnie nudges me and says, She's not here, and gives me this look. And I knew what it meant, because I'd seen it so many times before. Mischief. He was thinking, here we are in the candy shop, and the old lady's gone, so let's fill our pockets with goodies and clear out. I don't know what the kids would call me now, a pet, a square. Anyway, I didn't want to steal, even if I got away with it. I shook my head, and Ronnie said, suit yourself. Off he went to the jars, grabbing whatever he could get his hands on. I froze, stock still, caught between the idea of Babs walking in and shoring the knowledge that Ronnie would be ragging me for months. I waited all of ten seconds before whispering to him, Come on, that's enough, let's go. He looked over his shoulder, gave me the clock clock chicken noise and went right on pilfering. I was about to go then. Wilf grimaced and shook his head. Hardly a day goes by when I don't wish I'd just walked out. But you know what kids are like? You stick by your friends, don't you? Even when they're in the wrong. Jenny thought of her own friends and acknowledged this truth with a slow nod of her head. Instead of walking out, I went up to Ronnie, grabbed him by the shoulder and said, Come on, that's enough. From where I was stood, I could see behind the counter. So when I turned round, I saw the cat. The cat? Pickles, the sharp cat. I petted that thing more times than I can remember. Friendly, it was. Always wanted to be scratched behind its ears. But there it was, 
flopped down on the floor. There was no blood, no obvious injury, but it was dead. Cats don't lie that way, with their head all twisted and their legs splayed. I said, Jesus, and Ronnie finally turned his attention away from the jars. He had his shirt full by then. He pulled it out in front of him like a kangaroo. There were piles of sweets in there. He saw pickles, and I think it shocked him out of it. There was a noise from out back. A voice, real faint. No words, just a hint of some horrible, desperate wailing. Ronnie moved sharpish then, rushed to the door, opened it and turned back with me going nowhere. Wilf, he said. But I'd heard what I heard, and I thought old Babs might be in some trouble. I'll share, Ronnie said. I'll always remember that. He thought that would make me come with him. When I shook my head, he bolted, left me with a bell ringing in my ears. Someone shouted from inside the pub. Wilf, hide. The old man looked over his shoulder, then back to Jenny. Oh, Judy calls. Let's go inside. I can tell you the rest at the bar. Jenny hesitated. She could stay out a little longer, but her parents wouldn't like her going into the pub on her own. Wilf must have seen the doubt in her eyes. He smiled. It's okay if the landlord says so. They both stood and went into the pub. Her eyes took a few seconds to adjust to the interior of the pub. The horseshoe, with its low ceilings and sepia-brown decor, seemed a world away from the bright sunlight outside. She climbed onto a stool, and Wilf, who'd installed himself on the other side of the bar, placed another coke in front of her. The only other person in the pub was a small bald man sat in the corner. Jenny couldn't see his face, and she wondered if it was someone who knew her parents, someone who might tell on her. Before she could ask, Wilf continued. Where was I? The, the sound, yes. When Ronnie left, the sound came again, whimpering, like someone was in pain. I stepped over the cat and went through the door behind the counter. I'd seen that door a thousand times before, seen through to the beginnings of Babs's home. The stairs, the sink in the kitchen at the back, and the window looking out onto the churchyard. I called out, Babs, it's me, Wilf. Just want to check you're okay. The whimpering came again, and this time I could hear where it came from. Ahead of me, on the left, was a closed door. I walked on, past the stairs, and towards the door. When I got there, it took all the courage I had to open it. The old man placed both his palms down on the bar and drew a deep breath. I've never told anyone what I'm about to tell you. This was more than 50 years ago. I never told my own brother, my dad, not Ronnie Mayo, not anybody. I could have said something to the police when those children disappeared, but I didn't. Partly because I knew how it would sound, but mostly because I was scared. Scared that if I did tell, it would be me next. 
Jenny became aware of her own heart pounding, the thud, thud rising up around her neck and ears. What was behind the door? You'll believe me, won't you? You won't think I'm crazy. I won't. He nodded and went on. I opened that door and saw the whole scene in one. My brain could hardly take it in. Babs was on her knees. That was one thing. She was on her knees in front of a hole in the floor. I'd like to tell you more to use a cleverer word, but that's what it was. A hole. There was dirt all around it, like something had burrowed up through the floorboards, through the carpet of her living room. And she was kneeling next to it. She had blood all down the front of her clothes, like a butcher. And there was soil from the ground everywhere. Her eyes were wild. What happened then? She saw me, looked right at me and smiled. There was something wrong with her. Old Babs's face seemed twisted, wrong. I swear to you, this is what she said next, word for word. Wilf Jenkins, you're a good boy, but you're not good enough. It only feeds on the very best. I says, Babs, what's the matter? What's going on? But she ignored me and kept rambling. It only wants the best ones, Wilf. The very best. So I said, what do you mean? It came out from there, under the ground. And she pointed out to the churchyard. By this point, I'm beside myself. I remember looking at my little hand on the doorknob and seeing it shake like nobody's business. I says, come on, Babs, we gotta get you cleaned up. His voice raised an octave like a little boy. She was having none of it. She was just saying what was going round and round in her head. And her eyes, Jenny, I can't describe how wild she was in the eyes. What she says next, on my honour, this is what she says. It's giving me a list, Wilf. I've got a list so I can get the right sweeties. That's nice, ain't it? I'm good at getting sweeties. And she held up a tiny piece of paper. Against the light, I could see the outline of what was on the other side. Spidery handwriting. And three lines. Two words on each. And suddenly, Wilf went quiet. He stared out over the bar and the tables to the wall on the far side. His eyes had gone far away, and Jenny knew that he was looking past the wall into the candy shop across the street. What did the words say? She was certain Wilf was not going to tell her, that he would just snap out of his reverie like a man waking from a light nap. He would ask her what she thought she was doing in his pub, if he hadn't been clear enough the last time, But he didn't say any of those things. Instead, he turned to her and spoke softly. I couldn't make that out. But I know in my bones what they were. Three names. The names of little children I knew. A shudder ran through Jenny. She had so many questions, but she could see Wilf wasn't finished. The poor man was close to tears. She couldn't imagine keeping such a secret for so many years. After she held up that piece of paper, everything went quiet. I don't know how long we were there, just looking at each other. 
but then something shifted in the hole. I'm not going to tell you I saw it, Jenny, because I didn't. The moment I saw that soil move, I was gone. Out into the shop and through the door like shit off a stick. That is so... Oh! And the worst thing was, as the days went by and those poor little ones went missing, I knew. And I didn't say a word. Babs was right. They were the best. Alice Daniels was the kindest little girl you ever did meet. Paul Scott was a hero to all the young lads. Great at sports, but never a bully. Always had time for you. And Peter White, smartest kid in town. But a gem, too. Seven, nine, and eleven they were. All their lives in front of them. And... (laughs) Wilf broke down, dropping his head into his arms on the bar, sobbing. (laughs) Jenny, immediately self-conscious, looked across at the man in the corner, but he was gone. It was just her and Wilf in this conversation. Don't cry. Eventually, Wilf calmed himself and raised his head. The eyes that met her now were different, harder than before. I'm sorry, Jenny. It wasn't your fault. That's not what I mean. There was silence between them, and Jenny noticed the other man suddenly near her, walking towards the front door of the pub. I'm sorry. Jenny dropped down from the stool. I've got to go. She started for the door, but the bald man stood in front of it, his back to her, his face still hidden. Up close now, she noticed the dirt and soil covering his top coat. A bolt slid into place. The man turned around. He was old, so old. His head twitched from side to side in a strange jerking movement, like his skull and neck were tied together with elastic. There was no face, not in a normal way of things. He stopped twitching, and a sickening, cracking sound came from inside. Jenny would have done anything to get away, to be held by her mother and father, but her limbs would not obey her. The man's head opened at the top to reveal a gaping hole at the peak of his cranium. A thin line of yellow blood trickled down the head where the face should have been. Once it was fully open, it closed, then opened again, flexing. More cracking and a jaw filled with huge white teeth attached to a stem. Little tight ropes of phlegm dangled between the incisors. Her eyes wide with terror, Jenny turned back to Wilf. He held up a small piece of paper, three names written in a spidery hand. She didn't get past the top line. He only feeds on the best ones, Jenny. Only the very best.
We'll return to the horror in just a moment. I hope I'm so weak and hungry. What's wrong, Cummings? If you're so hungry, just eat something. Oh, but Sarah, I am bereft of food. I've just returned from yawn-weary travels and must quarantine in my home for 14 days. How can I find sustenance? Well, for starters, you can stop being so melodramatic and then order some tasty food using the DoorDash app. Oh yeah, DoorDash. How could I forget about the app that brings me food I'm craving right now, right to my door? And they do it safely. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. And it's cool that DoorDash offers food from national chains like Chili's and Buffalo Wild Wings, but I like that I can support local independent restaurants. I know how important that is during these stay-at-home times we live in. That's true. And there's over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia to choose from. I don't think ordering from Australia will get to me in Canada fast enough. You know what I mean, silly. And many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local restaurant, and your food will be left at your door. They're really counting on takeout orders these days. And even us folks in quarantine can accept DoorDash deliveries because they're now contactless to keep our communities safe. Our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code NOSLEEP. Let me try that line more dramatically. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code NOSLEEP. Very moving. Now stop clowning around and order some food with DoorDash. You have to keep your strength up. Ah, that's sage advice, dear friend. Don't forget, that's code NOSLEEP for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. And now... Feast your ears on more horror. As we get closer to winter, tis the season of increasingly poor weather. Snowstorms can bring horror to the roads and even those trying to stay safe and sound indoors. And in this tale, shared with us by author James Turnbow, we meet a college RA who has to make sure the students in his dorm are cared for when a huge blizzard hits and traps everyone inside. I join Mike Delgadio, Mary Murphy, Matthew Bradford, Nicole Goodnight, Jessica McAvoy, Danielle McRae, and Jeff Clement in performing this tale. So keep warm, don't panic, and try to survive the storm while you're living in Lawrence Hall. I watched the slow curl of steam rise from my mug as I pulled it up to my face to take a drink. The portly weatherman on TV stood in front of a graphic that promised we would see record-breaking snowfall in just a few hours. I rolled my eyes. 
My pager beeped loudly, causing me to jump and spill coffee into my lap. Shit. I wiped away the residue before answering. This is Jason in Lawrence Hall. Go ahead. My boss's voice crackled back at me. Hey, Jason. It's Scott. You guys all set? I hated that we had to use these things. It was part phone and part walkie-talkie, but someone had started calling them pagers at some point, and the name stuck. Yeah, we got Lawrence shoveled and sanded, sidewalks are clear, the heaters are running full blast, and most of the students are cozied up already. Awesome. I sure appreciate that, buddy. Hey, did Mia and Chris decide to stick around? I looked down at the two students lying on my office floor, scrolling aimlessly on their phones. Both of them were hard workers and dependable. That's why I had begged them to stay and ride out the storm. They sure did. Well, good deal. It sounds like you have everything under control over there. I'm going to check in around campus, but if you need anything, just give a holler. Sounds good to me. I placed the pager back on my desk and watched the snow continue to pile up outside from my office window. The evening turned to night, and before I knew it, I was alone, and it was well past ten o'clock. I leaned back in my chair and let out a great yawn, stretching my whole body out. I started to type on my computer, but a loud bang and a fit of laughter interrupted my work. I stepped out of my office into the lobby of our building and looked over to the main entrance, where I saw two students shivering and giggling loudly. One of them repeatedly banged on the door. She was saying something, but I couldn't hear what it was. I immediately recognized the pair. They were part of a trio that had been in my office for conduct meetings and policy violations more times than I cared to count. The young ladies had potential, though, so we tried to cut them a break when we could. I approached the doors and leaned in close to the glass. Where are your IDs, girls? You know it's policy to keep them on you at all times. <laughs> the two just laughed off my comments, so I opened the door. Cool wind struck me and carried with it the strong scent of alcohol. The girls hurried and scuffled inside, bringing with them lots of snow. They tried to rush into the elevator, but I stopped them before they could. I quickly realized they were drunk. Very drunk. Come on, ladies. How many times do we have to have this conversation? You know you can't keep coming to campus like this. <laughs> I grabbed my pager and asked Mia to come down to the lobby. And you guys wonder why I moved you next to Mia's room? I hoped being so close to an RA would straighten you up a little bit. Where's Kayla at, anyways? She said she was staying earlier when I talked to her. Sarah seemed to have found her voice. Uh, she's chicken out. <laughs> we told her to stay with us, but she wanted to go home to her mom. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> Can you believe that? Haley joined the conversation, throwing her head back with laughter. <laughs> What a bitch! But we love her, though. She's our bitch. I looked out at the parking lot where several inches of snow blanketed the ground. The last thing I wanted was a student to drive in this weather. Is she the one that drove you both back here? No, Tommy did. He dropped Kayla off at her car. We had to get a few rounds at the brick pit in before we're cooped up with all these losers. <laughs> well, how much did Kayla drink? Is she alright to drive home? Yeah. <laughs> She's fine. Kayla's been doing this a long time, okay? She called her mom, and even her mom said she was good to drive. 
let the car defrost a few minutes, a cup of coffee from 7-Eleven, and on the way she'll be. No big deal. We all jumped at the sound of the elevator ding behind us. Mia stepped out with a smile, perky as ever. She walked over to the pair and ushered them into the elevator. Fun night, ladies. We'll get you all settled in and off to bed in no time. You both better remember to come by and schedule a conduct meeting first thing Monday morning. The two girls returned my request with a roll of their eyes. Mia, will you and Chris stop and do a wellness check on Tweedledee and Tweedledum here during second rounds to make sure they haven't gotten into any more trouble? Sure thing, boss. She barely got the words out before the elevator closed. I reached into my pocket and switched my pager to the channel used by campus police. I waited for the go-ahead from dispatch before speaking. Hey, it's Jason over in Lawrence. We have a student who will be leaving campus soon. Name is Kayla Reedy. I think she's been drinking pretty heavily. I was hoping some officers could check in on her before she takes off. She'll be in a blue Malibu here in our parking lot. I could barely hear the dispatch officer over the noise in the station. Phones were ringing, people were yelling, and a siren played on a loop. He assured me that they would send someone over and they hurried off the phone. The wrecks must have already started, I thought. I looked one last time at the parking lot and decided to head up to my room. I didn't sleep well that night. My blankets felt like a prison. The wind outside blew with a steady, haunting howl. I tossed and turned for hours until I finally rolled out of my bed and stumbled towards my window. The parking lot was so white my eyes burned when I looked at it. I watched the snow dance across the parking lot until it found a home on the far side where the drifts settled halfway up the building. I chuckled to myself. (laughs) The weatherman didn't lie for once. In fact, he may have undersold the storm. My eyes suddenly caught movement. One of the larger drifts seemed to be shaking back and forth. I wiped my eyes and looked again, but it was no illusion. The shape was moving as if it was made of jello. I watched it for a while. It would shake violently, then lull to a sway before picking back up. I went to reach for my phone, knowing that a quick internet search could explain this phenomenon, but was cut short by the sound of my pager going off. This is Jason and Lawrence. The only reply I got was an eerie crackling. Hello? It's Jason here in Lawrence. Is anyone there? The unsettling white noise continued. I listened intently for clues as to who might be calling this late. I doubted it was accidental, but it could have been. My heart jumped a beat and I dropped the pager out of fear. I stood there, motionless. The words became less distorted with each passing second, and soon I made out what they were. I heard them clear as day, a small, silent whisper. Cold. It's so cold. The wind outside picked up to a deafening scream. I placed my hands around my ears to block out all the noise and I retreated to the bathroom. I slammed the door behind me and ducked under the sink. The wind and the screams, the static and the sobs, it all morphed into one terrible sound and I just wanted it to go away. The noise outside climaxed. I thought my head was going to burst under the weight of it. The howling stopped suddenly, but the silence left in its wake seemed louder. I turned the faucet on and splashed cold water on my face. My trembling reflection stared back at me in silence for what felt like hours. I gave myself a few light slaps, took a deep breath, and stepped back into my bedroom. To my horror, the pager still lay on the floor where I had dropped it. 
It wasn't some crazy dream. I picked it up and held it close to my face, looking it over in great detail. It seemed alright, so I removed the batteries and did a soft reset. I convinced myself that it shorted out, and the sound of the storm outside just got the best of me. The whole ordeal left me exhausted. I watched the flurry of white outside my window and drifted off to sleep. The next morning was absolute chaos. The storm was much worse than anyone had predicted. The sound of several loud bangs on my door pulled me from my slumber. I threw a t-shirt on and opened the door. I was surprised at the number of students that met me in the hall. My heart sped up rapidly and I felt a knot form in my stomach. Something was wrong. Guys, it's too early for this. What's the deal? Mia peeked out from behind the frame of one of the football players. Her voice was shaky. She looked pale. My heart picked up its pace. I had never seen Mia even slightly nervous. I tried to call, but the pager wasn't working. We can't leave. The doors won't open. The words hung in the air for a moment as I tried to process them. What do you mean the doors won't open? It's probably just the drifts. The snow is heavy No, it's more than that. Guys, I'm going to step inside and chat with Jason. We'll be right back out. Can you meet me back in the lobby in about 15 minutes? Go grab some breakfast. She flashed the group a smile. They seemed to be satisfied enough with this plan, so they slowly dispersed and walked back down the hallway. I motioned for Mia to come inside. As soon as the door shut behind her, she fell into the couch in sobs. She was teetering on the edge of losing it completely. I gave her a few moments before I spoke. Mia, what's going on? She inhaled sharply, squeezing the space between her eyes at the top of her nose. None of the doors will open. All of the doors that lead outside are jammed or something. We're stuck here. Mia, that's impossible. I'll go down right now and check them out. Why the hell would anyone want to go out in that weather anyways? I looked out the window where pale violet and orange battled the sea of snow and ice. The blizzard was still raging. It's not just that. Have you checked your phone? No one has service. Even the Wi-Fi is down. I went to my bedroom and retrieved my cell phone and pager. I checked the home screen of my phone. No service. I tried every channel that was available on the pager. Nothing. Mia looked up at me and I watched large tears well up in her eyes. And... And there was blood. All over the floor. God, I didn't know what to do. Blood? Blood where? Mia, what happened? The knot in my stomach grew tighter. In our bathroom. It was coming from Sarah and Haley's room. Under the door. I checked on them last night and they were fine. Oh, I, I was on my way up here when the students stopped me and told me about the doors. I reached for the pager again. Scott, it's Jason over in Lawrence. Pick up. I paused for a moment, then continued out of frustration. Pick up, damn it. We're dealing with some heavy shit over here. We might have an injured student. I'm going down now to see what's going on. My words were met with silence. I turned back to Mia. Hey, we'll get this figured out. Have you talked to Chris? No. You know how he likes to sleep. He won't be up until noon. She wiped her face and took a deep breath to collect herself. Go get him up, and both of you meet me back at your room. We need to check on Sarah and Haley. I'll go down and grab their extra room key. 
A small group of students were in the lobby when I arrived. One of the boys was desperately trying to force the door open. I watched as he gripped the handle and pulled with every ounce of strength he had. When that didn't work, he shook it violently. My voice startled him. Hey guys, cut it out. We're working on it now. The doors will be open in a few minutes. Everything is fine. Go grab some food. I stepped into the key room before they could reply, but heard the shuffle of their footsteps as they went out. When I got back to Mia's room, she and Chris were waiting on me. I had hoped that Chris would be able to lighten things up, but the morning's news seemed to have broken even his impossible positivity. Chris looked tired and scared. We've knocked a few times, but no one's answered. We didn't hear anyone moving around either. Sarah? Haley? It's Jason. I'm out here with the RAs. Are you guys okay? A heavy silence followed my words. Hey guys, we're going to key in, all right? We want to do a wellness check. We'll be in and out. The three of us looked at each other and I put the key into the lock. The deadbolt slid over and the door opened with a slow creak. The smell of stale alcohol and vomit greeted us as we walked in. Mia was the first one to scream, followed by Chris. I tried, but when I opened my mouth, all that came out was bile and sickness. Sarah lay there alone in the middle of the floor. Blood and foam leaked from the edges of her mouth, where a bottle of whiskey sat forced deep into her throat. Her cheeks were ripped all the way down to the edge of her jaw, and the wicked smile she wore was a stark contrast to the fear in her bulging yellow eyes. I shut the door behind us and locked it before any students came to investigate the screams. I began to get dizzy, and the room started to spin around me. I watched Chris stumble over to one of the beds and grab a blanket, which he used to cover Sarah's body. I fell to the floor with my hands on my head. What? What the fuck happened to her? How was that even... Fuck! My fist met the wall as the last word left my mouth. We need to get the police. Someone here had to have done this. Someone in the building. My voice was that of a child who just found out the boogeyman was real. How are we going to do that? We can't get out. None of the phones are working. Hold up. Isn't there an emergency phone in the basement? The red one in the old storm shelter. He was right. There was an old hardline phone that connected directly to the campus police station down there. I wasn't sure if it even still worked, but it was worth a shot. Mia's voice was soft, but it startled us. Where's Haley? She had to have seen or heard something. What if she's the one that did it? We both caught the coldness in Chris's voice. No, she wouldn't have. Her her and Sarah were best friends. We need to find her and just talk to her. Chris started to speak but was cut short by the sound of my pager going off. I grabbed it in a frenzy, relief washing over me. Finally, some help. This is Jason and Lawrence. Is that you, Scott? God, I sounded so desperate. I heard a woman's voice over the static, but it was barely audible. The signal must have been really weak. Hello? Ma'am? Can you send someone to help? We're in Lawrence Hall. We have a student that's been murdered. The whispers continued until the voice was suddenly plain as day. I'm coming for them. My stomach dropped. It was the same voice from last night, but this time it wasn't crying or in a panic. It was purposeful, deliberate even. Who the hell was that? I hit the pager against my hand to hide my shaking. I don't know. This damned thing's been bugging out. It has to be picking up other signals or something. It did the same thing last night. Well, do you think they'll send someone? 
I looked to the body of the student that had been killed and shook my head, fighting back the tears. I, I wouldn't count on it. I think that phone is our best bet. Let's get headed down there. We can't let this happen again. The three of us could feel the chill of the basement as soon as we stepped into the stairwell. As we made our way down, the temperature plummeted. Didn't make sense. The basement was heated just like the rest of the building. Once we reached the bottom of the landing, I was shocked to find the heavy basement door open. Guys, was this shut when you did your rounds last night? Yeah, it was locked tight. I even pulled it to make sure. Who could have opened it? I'm the only one that has access. Hey, who was that? You can't be down here. It's against policy and it's not safe. Let's just go see who it is. I'm sure it's a group of freshmen or something just trying to pull a prank. Freshmen? Have you forgotten about the dead body upstairs? Someone murdered her, Chris. This doesn't feel good. Well, regardless, we have to get to that phone. The storm shelter is at the other end next to the old union. Let's just go and we'll deal with them when we find them. We stepped into the blue-gray void that was the basement. The area had served as the university's cafeteria and student center in a long time gone. It had been condemned years ago, but there was always a handful of students that found their way in to graffiti the walls or bust a hole in something. Man, I forgot how big it was down here. Neither of us answered as we continued to walk forward, the lights from our cell phones reflecting on the graveyard of kitchen appliances. We went the rest of the way in silence except for the occasional shiver. It seemed to be getting even colder as we went further in. I turned the light off on my phone when we reached the entrance to the old student union. I motioned for Mia and Chris to hang back while I peered through the small porthole on the entrance door. I could see small rays of light shining through the row of windows that lined the ceiling. Most of the floor was covered in a blanket of snow. How can that be? I heard a loud crash and pushed the door open to see further in. A lone figure stood at the opposite end of the student union. Tattered tables and chairs surrounded them. Haley? What are you doing down here? Mia and Chris pushed their way into the room at the mention of Haley's name. How did you even... I didn't mean for it to happen. She had a crowbar in her hand. Shards of glass lay littered around her feet, which were bare, except for a thin trail of blood that traced her path back to the first window she had busted. I did my best to sound calm. Haley, what happened to Sarah? Why are you down here breaking the windows? Put down the crowbar and come talk to us. It was an accident. I tried to tell her. I told her we were sorry. But it has to be this way. She said so. I have to know what it's like. Haley turned her back to us and began swinging at the windows with a madness that matched her voice. I have to know what it feels like. Sarah did her part. Now it's my turn. Mia started to approach her. Who said? Haley, you don't have to do anything. Come back upstairs and we can talk about all this. Just put that thing down. You're bleeding. We don't want you to get hurt anymore. Haley continued to smash the windows, ignoring our pleas. After the last one was broken, she collapsed onto the floor, writhing in bits of glass and tears. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> I did what you 
sorry. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I can feel the cold now. We watched her pitiful shape for a few moments before Mia began to slowly creep towards her. Chris reached out and grabbed her shoulder. You can't. It's dangerous. That's my friend. I'm not going to leave her here to bleed to death. She's obviously had some kind of mental break. Before Chris could protest further, the pager at my side began to crackle with an ominous static. The three of us stared in disbelief as we heard laughter break through the crackles and hums. Cold? You think this is cold? I'll show you cold. At the last word, the room we were standing in began to tremble. We heard a thunderous rumbling outside that was getting louder with each passing second. I watched in horror as an avalanche of snow and ice began to pour into the room from the windows Haley had just busted open. Haley pulled her knees to her chest and began to rock back and forth, screaming something that I couldn't make out over all the noise. You two, get out of here! You have to go now! I'll get to the phone! Chris hesitated for a moment before taking a hold of Mia's hand and running with her for the exit. I turned back to where Haley sat on the floor and sprinted towards her. I couldn't leave her down here. Time seemed to slow as I raced against the raging snow that was pushing its way into the room. The cold air burned my lungs. Each step was a mouthful of fire. I was almost to her side when a mangled and blackened arm burst from the window above her head. The hand reached straight down and took a hold of Haley by her hair. Her eyes widened as the fingers spread across her scalp. I could see frozen tears that clung to her face as I reached for her trembling hand. But I was too late. The thing, whatever it was on the other side of that arm, lifted Haley and began to pull her through the window. Haley's cries for help were muffled by the snow as she was pulled into the icy abyss. Her back caught against the glass still set in the window, and the shards tore bits of flesh from her body as she was drugged through. In an instant, a wispy steam and chunks of red muscle clinging to the window were all that were left of her. I stood there, staring at the empty space until the snow crashing in around me forced me to move. I turned and began to run towards the old storm shelter. I couldn't let my students down. I refused to let any more of them die. I hurtled over tables and chairs as I struggled to reach the phone. I could feel the stampede that was the snow biting at my heels when I finally crossed the threshold. I slammed the door behind me and dove over a small couch to reach the blocky red telephone. I pulled it from the receiver and waited, breathless. No dial tone. No ringing. Come on. Come on, goddammit. You have to work. Each second seemed like an eternity. The snow had arrived outside with a crash and the door creaked and groaned loudly under its weight. Hello? Is someone there? Does this phone even work? Hey, Dave, this phone just started ringing. You know anything about- Listen, this is Jason. I work in Lawrence Hall. Two students have been killed. You need to get officers here right now. There was a loud metallic pop as one of the hinges on the door broke and ricocheted off a vent beside my head. I watched as snow began to pour into the room. I don't have much time. Just get over here. Now. I'm in the basement. Please. I dropped the phone and let the receiver hang. I heard the dispatch officer grow frantic. I looked around. I had to work fast. 
The snow and ice were piling in with me and there wasn't much space in the room. I lifted one end of the couch and dragged it across the room back towards the phone. I fought my way across the small tundra and stood the couch upright just in front of the vent. I turned it so that I could squeeze between the space of the wall and the cushions, hopeful that the couch would hold up against the onslaught. I was scrambling to position myself correctly when I saw the black hand that grabbed Haley reach underneath the door. You knew. The voice seemed to come from everywhere and nowhere at the same time. The hand pulled on the door and more of its distorted shape came into view. The entirety of it was a sickening shade of black and purple with bits of red flesh loosely hanging from all over its body. You knew! I'm sorry! Please, don't come any closer! Please, I'm sorry! Fuck, what is this? I didn't know what I was apologizing for. I watched as it continued to crawl towards me, its breathing a heavy rasp in the air. You knew! The words rode on an unforeseen force this time, and I found myself and the couch tumbling backwards against the wall. The couch landed on me with a loud thud, taking my breath. I felt my head snap against the wood with a sickening crack. The snow and ice came raining down next. I felt the couch become heavier and heavier. I tried to scream or call for help, but all I managed were a few pathetic wheezes. Jason? Nurse, I think he's waking up. Easy, easy, bud. You're in the hospital. You're okay. We we called your family, and they're driving up. My eyes adjusted to the bright light above my head. What happened? Mia and Chris, are they okay? Girls, it can't be real. Mia and Chris are fine, but... But but the the girls... uh, Scott didn't finish, but instead looked down to the floor. All the memories came back. The death and the cold were all I could see. I turned my head and buried it deep into my pillow. Scott sat silently while I screamed and wept. After a while, he spoke up. I... I don't know how to say this, Jason, but they... uh, They took your leg. And they had to... It took them hours to dig you out of that damned basement. It was smart what you did with that couch, but uh, you didn't quite get your whole body under it. Frostbite got the rest. You've been out for a few days now. I stared at him, shaking with fear and disbelief. I reached for the cheap hospital linens that covered my lower half, but I couldn't force myself to pull them up. What he said couldn't be true. I released the blankets and let myself lay back down. The two of us sat in silence for a long time while I tried to dismiss the pain that radiated from just below my left knee. Scott wanted to speak, but I could see him struggling under the burden of his words. They... they found Haley's body. You knew about the girls, but Tommy is dead too. He got the worst of it. At least that's what the detectives told us. They'll want to talk to you soon. They think whoever did this followed the students to Lawrence from the brick pit. I struggled to process what Scott was telling me. Tommy? I thought he had made it home. He dropped the girls off. What about Kayla? Is she okay? 
Scott's face dropped again. Poor girl, froze to death. From what the investigators gathered, she fell asleep not long after she got in her car. Too much to drink. The blizzard rolled in and buried her. She did get a window down and tried to dig her way out, but the cold got to her before she could. Frostbite ate her up. I can't think of a worse way to go. I could see the tears welling up in Scott's eyes. But I called dispatch. I told them Kayla was still in the parking lot, and they said they were going to send an officer over. They assured me. You can't blame yourself for this, Jason. I told them. Why didn't they check on her? They did. Then how did this happen? She should be okay. Scott took a deep breath before answering. (sighs) Kayla didn't drive a blue Malibu. Sarah did. You got them mixed up. When the officer checked Lawrence, there wasn't one in the parking lot, so he figured she had already left. Like I said, you can't blame yourself, Jason. You tried. My mind began reeling. You knew! The words echoed in my head with a loud hum I couldn't shake. I remembered the moving drifts and the sobs from the pager. Sarah in the whiskey bottle, Haley in the cold. It all made sense. It was Kayla. Weird thing is, though, her body went missing from the morgue this morning. I think that's one of the things the detectives want to talk to you about. Oh, this has all been one trying ordeal. Poor kids. Oh, look, there's the nurse. I sat in my bed, trembling. How could I ever hope to live with myself? Four students were dead, and it was my fault. The guilt was unbearable. I looked out the window where a few gray clouds hung in the evening sky, and snow was starting to fall. Nurse, won't you get him a couple more blankets? We're supposed to get another snowstorm tonight, and I hear this one will be worse than the last. Wouldn't you like another blanket, Jason? Before I could answer Scott, I spotted a mangled black hand sitting atop a drift just outside my window. The hand gave me a small wave and then slithered back into the snow. No, I think the cold is just what I need. Thank you for joining us on our journey down the Lost Highway. The musical score was composed by Brandon Boone. Our production team is Phil Mikalski, Jeff Clement, and Jesse Cornett. Our creative content manager is Olivia White. I'm your host and executive producer, David Cummings. 
If you would like to find out how you can hear the extended editions of our audio program, please visit thenosleeppodcast.com to learn about our season pass program. 25 episodes, each over two hours long, and three exclusive bonus episodes, all for only $24.99. On behalf of everyone at the No Sleep Podcast, we thank you for listening. As the darkness fades, it feels like you're going to dream tonight. This audio production is copyright 2020 by Creative Reason Media Inc. All rights reserved. The copyrights for each story are held by the respective authors. No duplication or reproduction of this audio program is permitted without the written consent of Creative Reason Media, Inc.